So I've taught on this before, but I feel like I'm supposed to do it again. Um, I think Anna Joe was mentioning about Job. What did he confess when he was going through a difficult situation in life? The title of this is Confession. So we're going to be in the book of Mark, chapter 11, verses 20 through 24. I don't have points. I just have a theme. So if you can follow me, hopefully it'll, it'll work out. If you get uh, hit with a little bit of laughter in the middle of it, go with it. We're not trying to stop you at all. Let the Lord do what he wants to do. And uh, there's no agenda. We're just going to do the best that we can, all right? Let the Lord have his way. So Mark 11, 20 through 24. Now in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed is withered away. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God <laughs> for sure. <laughs> now that's funny. Have faith in God. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. So in this passage, the disciples marvel that Jesus' cursing of the fig tree led to the eventual withering of the same fig tree. Jesus takes this opportunity to teach them that a dynamic of faith is that they too have the power and the authority to speak to the obstacles that stand in their way. He uses the example of a mountain and the power that can be exercised as they face and come against the mountain. Now, let me just say right now that a mountain was a metaphor for a problem. Okay? So there are a few things that we've got to highlight here as we delve into what we want to learn through this passage. First of all, Jesus says that the context is one of having faith in God. Have God-like faith. We know that faith, because of the scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, says we walk by faith, not by sight. That doesn't mean you walk with your eyes closed. It just means you see differently. You don't just see it in the natural realm. So we know that faith is seeing spiritually, not just physically. And oftentimes faith is seeing the working of God, the ways of God, the spiritual dynamics of God in everything that we see. 2 Kings 6.17, I'll give you an example. This is, a, a, again, a, a real thing that happened, but faith doesn't always see into the natural. It perceives that there is a supernatural acting upon the natural. But in this particular case, there was a guy, a servant of Elisha, saw a lot of the enemy encamped against him and Elisha, didn't know what to do. And Elisha said, don't worry, there's more with us than there are with them. He took, started counting, said two uh, 100,000. I don't think so. And so Elisha said, Lord, I pray that you would open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Now, I want you to know that they were always there. And you can trust that they're there when God says they're there. That's what faith is. But he couldn't see them. But God says they're there. 
God says things that we can't see. Faith is trusting that what God says is true. And in that, that's what faith is, is trust, but also perceiving that there's more going on than I can see in the natural. All right? In Matthew 8, the centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority. So what did he see about Jesus? When he said, I also, he, he understood or he was able to perceive that Jesus was more than what people saw. And Jesus had authority about him, not just in the natural realm, but also in the spiritual realm, because he says, I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. He said, I also. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and another come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. So when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Why? Because he can see things that other people can't see. You can't see authority but you can recognize it, and that's what he was doing. He recognized that Jesus was a man of authority. Second, faith is in God, not in what we can do in ourselves or even in faith. A lot of people put their faith in faith, or a lot of people put their faith in what they can do in faith, but it's not that. Faith is in God. So the context of faith is that we are acting in accordance with what we see God doing, what we see heaven doing, and that is what we believe the will of God is for our lives in keeping with who he is and what he desires. So we can sometimes think that something is the will of God for our lives that's totally outside of what God wants for us, right? I want to have a Rolls Royce. It's the will of God that I have a Rolls Royce. Well, sometimes it might be, but sometimes it might not be. Just because you want it doesn't mean it's the will of God. It might be the will of God for you to have transportation, but not necessarily uh, that. Now, it might be for some people. It might be that. We don't know. All I'm saying is that is that your will and God's will need to line up. God's will is always the priority. In Matthew 6, 9, and 10. In this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Not my will be done, but your will be done. Where? Here, the way it is in heaven. So we want heaven's agenda to take place and, and to manifest here on the earth. But we are trying to perceive heaven's agenda. And then what we want is somehow to cooperate with heaven so that heaven's agenda manifests in our life. The, this prayer for the, uh, uh, the model prayer that Jesus gave us is teaching us to pray heaven's will, heaven's desire into this earthly realm. So it doesn't just happen. You've got to cooperate with it. One of the ways you cooperate with it is by praying. What is heaven's will for my life, my family, my church, my community? The other way that we find that out is we find it out through God's word. Primarily, that's what we will, where we will know whether what I am picking up in prayer is in agreement with what God's desire is for my life. Because what I pick up has to be in agreement with God, because it's heaven first. Romans 12 and 2. Do not be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So in other words, we perceive, we see what heaven's will is through the lens of faith, and through faith, we began to act on heaven's will regardless of what we perceive or see in the natural. 
Because a lot of times what we see in the natural is opposite to what we're perceiving in, in, in the heavenly realm, to what God is saying. Making sense to you? In fact, more often than not, I've been a Christian for a long time, rarely have I ever seen what God said to me manifest itself in the natural, in the immediate. I always have to trust that what God says is true when everything around me says he's not. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That's what faith is. It's trusting God even in the midst of the circumstances. Jesus said we can move mountains. Science says you can't. Who are you going to believe? Are you hearing what I'm saying? But that's the battle. So it's also how Jesus functioned because he taught us that. In John 5 and 19 it says, Jesus said, The Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son also does in like manner. And then in John 12, 49, he says, For I have not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. So the model that Jesus is giving us through what he's saying here is, I, I do what I see my Father doing, and I say what I hear my Father saying. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Making sense? So therefore, in our passage, when it says that we believe in our heart and do not doubt, it's because we're convinced that we're in alignment with heaven and pursuing heaven's purposes for our lives. This is not an extreme name-it-claim-it understanding of the Christian life, but it is a biblical truth of how to walk out the Christian life and bring the promises and the purposes of God into manifestation in our lives and through our lives. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 1 and 20, and I chose the NIV version for this, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Dad, can I have this? Yes. Can I have a healing in my life? Well, what does the Word of God say? By His stripes we are healed. Yes. But what we struggle with is he, we think, yes, God's a healer, but He won't heal me. He'll heal other people, but He won't heal me. He'll provide for other people, but he won't provide for me. Yet the Bible says that all the promises of God are yes in Christ. And so what's our job? And through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. What does amen mean? It means so be it. God promises me this. I say amen. I come into agreement with what he has promised. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So this verse, as well as in our, our text in Mark, teaches us the importance of speaking to the amount and speaking to the problem, the importance of, of uh, speaking and declaring the will of God and the Word of God into our lives, into the atmosphere, into the situations that we're facing. Why? Because as we do so, we're exercising our God-given authority. Did you know that God has given us, as the people of God, authority? What does it say in Luke 10 and 19? Behold, I give you authority to trample upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now, let me give you an example. In the natural realm, how does someone in authority exercise their authority? How does a policeman or a principal or a teacher exercise his or her authority? They have authority. But how do they exercise it? They either motion or speak to you 
what they want done in the name of the authority which they represent. Correct? So with that in mind, if I was going to give you a simple answer is how do, we, how do they exercise authority, it's through communication. How do we exercise authority in the same way? It's through communication. Through communication, we, uh, uh, we, we work to bring God's will into manifestation in the earth. We exercise the authority that we've been given to bring into manifestation what God wants done. Now, you might be uncomfortable with this idea, but let's get to the, I'm going to show you that this is not a Rick idea. It's not a word of faith idea. It's a God idea. All right? Matthew 16 and 19 says, I, and I, I chose the NASB version for this because, it, to me, it most significantly grasps the meaning of the text. Because we often read it this way in some verses. It says, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And in that model, heaven follows us. But that's not the model that, that Jesus gave us. He said, I say what I hear my Father saying. I do what I see my Father doing, right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? On earth as it already is in heaven. So who leads? Heaven. Who follows? Earth. So I like this translation because it's more in agreement with what the Greek text says. It says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. I will give you authority. Whatever you bind on earth shall have already been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have already been loosed in heaven. To bind means to prohibit. What are you prohibiting? How do I prohibit? We're going we're gonna to see here in a minute. To loose means to permit. What are you permitting? And how do I permit? Proverbs 18.21 I chose the message translation. I'm trying to get you to understand the, 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 the meaning of the text, and, and I'll pick a translation that will bring out what I think is the inherent meaning there. It says, words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit you choose. Now, so what are we talking about? We're talking about communicating, communication. How do you communicate authority? How do you exercise authority? By communicating by what you say, by what you do, by how you live. Now, with that in mind, I want to bring in another scripture, and then I'll try to tie it together. Hebrews 10 and 23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. There's a guy named Rick Renner I like. He uh, does a lot of uh, word studies in the Greek, and he wrote this. The word confession is not the picture of a person who simply repeats what somebody else says. This is an individual who has gotten God's word into his heart and who has come into agreement or alignment with what God says. The person sees a matter like God sees it. He hears it like God hears it, and he feels it like God feels it. Now his heart and God's heart are so unified on the issue that their hearts are nearly beating in syncopation with each other. Thus, when the believer opens his mouth to confess God's word, his confession is no longer powerless, empty chatter. Instead, it comes from a very deep place of conviction inside his heart. In light of this, Hebrews 10.23 carries this idea. Let us come into agreement with God and then begin to speak what he says, holding tightly to what we confess and refusing to let anyone take it from us. 
Real confessions are made out of words from God that have been sown into the heart. After a period of meditating and renewing the mind, you finally begin to see it the way God sees it. You really believe what God believes, and from that place of heartfelt conviction, you begin to speak and to declare your faith, God's will, with the authority that God has given to you. To confess actually means to say the same thing. We can say the same thing and not have any faith. A parrot can do that. We're not parrots. We're children of God. <laughs> Uh-oh. <We, laughs> you, you understand what I'm saying? It's not saying the right thing. It's saying the right thing because you've come into agreement with your heart. The Bible says in Proverbs 4.23, Above all else, guard your heart, for from it flows the wellsprings of life. Right? Joshua 1 and 8, what did God tell Joshua? The book of the, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. When is going to make his way prosperous? What is going to make him have good success? Meditating, getting the word of God in his heart. When you get the word of God in your heart, guess what comes out? The word of God. And then you come into agreement with the Word of God. You begin to walk out the Word of God. You begin to speak the Word of God. You begin to do the Word of God. And then what happens? The things around you have to line up with God's Word. There are two important points I want to bring out. One is we're speaking to the mountain. What is the mountain? It is the problem that we're facing. What are we speaking? God's will and God's Word to the problem. It doesn't say speak to God. There is a time when we speak to God. This text says not we speak to God, but once we find out the will of God, we speak to the mountain, which is the problem. See, we keep speaking to God about the problem, but then we never start talking to the problem. You see, David may have prayed about God about Goliath, but at some point he had to start talking to Goliath. hearing what I'm saying? Confession, okay, so two, we are speaking repeatedly. You don't know the context, uh, the Greek part of this verse, but the context is you're not just speaking once and done. You are speaking repeatedly, persistently, the will of God to the mountain until the mountain, the problem, moves out of the way. What's going to move? It's either going to be you or it's going to be the mountain. One of us is going to move. Jesus is saying, if you stand fast and hold on to my word and you believe that I have authority, you have authority and you will do what I say and not back off, the mountain will move. But when we do that, what often happens is the mountain resists and we say it doesn't work. We say, it must not be for me. Now, this is not in the notes. So just let the guys know. But in Matthew 17, Jesus was up on a mountain, and he transfigured before his disciples, three of them that he had taken with them. But while he was up there, the rest of his disciples were down below. And the, to those disciples, they brought to them a boy who was demon-possessed. And they said, help us help heal my, my, my boy. 
but they couldn't do it. But here's the thing. Up until that time, they had been doing it. They've been casting out demons, no problem. But then they bring this one, and when they bring this one, this one resisted. And when it resisted, they came to the conclusion that we can't do it. And Jesus comes down off the mountain and he says, Oh, you uh, perverse and faithless generation. That's what he says. Right? How long shall I be with you? Bring the boy to me. He says, get out of him. The boy was healed. And they said, why couldn't we do this? He said, because of your little faith. He said, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you can speak, you know, uh, uh, I forgot the rest of that passage. I don't have it in my notes. But you, you can uh, say whatever, whatever you will, it shall be done. Context, right? So here's the thing. This kind does not come out but by prayer and fasting. Now, you can take that to mean prayer and fasting. There's something magical about prayer and fasting. I want to tell you something. There's something powerful about prayer and fasting. But there's not something magical about prayer and fasting. When you pray and fasting, you are spending time with God so that you don't get moved off what the will of God is. Because when we're in the everyday world, the everyday world wants us to back off what the will of God is. But the more time you spend with God, the less that can happen. He said this kind does not come out by prayer and fasting. What is this kind? I believe he was saying, hey, this is not like, uh, uh, you know, this is one of the huge demons it might have been, but he's basically saying this one is a lot harder to get out. But he didn't say it wouldn't come out. He just says it comes out, and the thing about prayer and fasting is the process. In other words, you've got to have some stick to itness. You've got to have some, you've got to believe that this is my will for your life, and this is what I want you to do. And when that demon resists, you can't let that demon convince you that it's not God's will or it ain't going to happen. That's in that situation. When the problems that you face resist, you cannot say to yourself, it's not going to work for me. It's not God's will for my life. It's not what God wants to happen. You have to have faith and gumption enough, believing God's word to persist in what God says until the thing moves. How long do I have to persist? Until it moves. Well, give me a time frame. I can't give you a time frame. It's different for everybody. I like it when I pray and all of a sudden you have immediate healings, immediate answers. I love that, right? We had a situation this Sunday where uh, I said, thus says the Lord, uh, the children are coming home. That Sunday night, there was an immediate turnaround in one person's life, right? I like that. But for other people, you might wake up on Monday, no turnaround. Tuesday, no turnaround. Uh, February, no turnaround. March, no turnaround. Well, I guess the Word of God wasn't for me. No. Lord, you spoke that this is the Word of God. My children are coming home. I believe what you said. I'm, I'm holding what you said in my heart, and I'm going to pray until it happens, and I'm going to speak to the mountain until the mountain moves because I believe what God's Word says over what I see. And I'll give you, I'll give you a, a little heads up here. Oftentimes, when you grab a hold of God's Word and God's Word grabs a hold of you, oftentimes things get worse before they get better. And what are you going to do? Are you going to quit? Are you going to forget about what God said? Or are you going to double down? 
sometimes you've got to double down. The Bible says, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I like that verse, very succinct. But I found over time and over life, my life as a Christian, is that we build new century, I mean, uh, uh, 20th century timelines into that verse. Submit yourself to God is not always a one-time thing. I got to continue to submit myself to God. There's always things I got to submit myself to God. Now, uh, I'm not saying that, that you submit yourself to God and it's not a done thing. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I'm constantly submitting. I'm constantly growing closer. I'm constantly having to deal with stuff in my life that the Lord hides up. So if that's the case, could it be that when it says resist the devil, that it's not just a one-time thing? I submitted to you, God, I read the Bible, I got a verse, I spoke it out, it's done. Sometimes, but sometimes it's like, this is the will of God, and it ain't happening, nothing's changing, I keep going back, but this is what you spoke to me, I believe it, I wrote it down, it's in my heart, I know this is the will of God, so I speak to the mountain, it hasn't moved, so I'm going to get up tomorrow and I'm going to speak to the mountain, and I'm going to get up the next day, I'm going to speak to the mountain, and I'm going to get up the next day, I'm going to get up the next day, I'm going to speak to the mountain. How long do I speak to the mountain? Until the mountain moves. Until it moves. Resist the devil. You see, and I, I like to say it this way, because I, I like to watch the Rocky movies. I don't know if any of y'all watch the Rocky movies, but it took him, uh, took him two fights to win. Two fights and 15 rounds each to win. Right? Took him that long. What did he have that we love about that movie? Persistence. He had a heart. He was persistent. He didn't quit. Right? And eventually, that championship moved and it became his that's a movie and we're not trying to do anything movies here i'm just using it as an example all right it's an example that we need to understand what we like about that is there's something in that that speaks to our heart about what god created us to do the bible created us to do to resist the devil how do you resist the devil sometimes we think it's a one punch fight but it's really a 15 round brawl you hit, he hits. You hit, he hits. You hit, you lose 10 rounds, but you're still getting up. One. You lose 12 rounds, but you're still getting up because you know that in the end you win. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. And God's word says, he will flee from you. He will flee. Not he might. Not he could. He will. Well, how come he's not fleeing from me? Maybe you haven't persisted enough. Maybe you haven't held on. Remember that story about the widow and the unjust judge? And she kept coming back to him, and she says, well, I don't fear God, and I don't fear man, but this woman's annoying me. <laughs> and I guess because of her persistence, I'm going to answer, not because of anything else, but because she won't leave me alone. I'm going to answer. I'm going to do what she wants me to do. How much more? God's not wanting to not answer our prayers. He's a good father. He wants to answer our prayers, right? But when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? 
Confession declaration is not man's idea, it's God's. Abraham is a model. We've used this before, but it's so good. I'm going to tell you something. I used to struggle a little bit with confessing and declaring, just like a lot of people in the kingdom of God do, until I saw this verse and I realized it is God that brought this into manifestation. God revealed this to us. That's why people do it, because it's in the Bible. Oh, it's used to an extreme. Yeah, everything that's good can be used to an extreme, but you don't throw it out because it's used to an extreme. You learn how does it properly work. And so in the Bible, this is what it teaches. I'm going to show you what it teaches through Abraham. What did Abraham believe in his heart concerning the promises of God? And by the way, let's look at the trials that he faced as well. Romans 4, 16 through 24. There, therefore, 16 through 22. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. So he's basically saying that faith is for everybody like it was with Abraham. Who is the father of us all? As it is written, I've made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him who believed God, who gives life to the, dead, to the dead and calls things which do not exist as though they did. So what does he do? He calls things that do not exist as though they did. When does he call them? When they existed? No, before they existed. God does this. We're not God. You're right. We're not. But we're supposed to act like him. Well, let's see what it says in here. So, the, so, uh, uh, so, so God, who gives life to the dead, who contrary to hope, talking about Abraham, in hope, believed. In other words, everything about his life so far didn't match up with what God said. But in the midst of this contrariness to hope, in hope, he believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. In other words, he believed God's word and God's promise when everything around him for 24 years said no. He held on to the word of God. He held on to the promise of God. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead. What is the text trying to say? His body was already dead. But he didn't give any thought to that. Did not consider that. It wasn't part of his equation. Uh, since he was about 100 years old, or did, nor did he consider the deadness of Sarah's womb because she was 89. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. That doesn't mean that he never had a doubt in his head. It means that when all these doubts were hitting him, all these things were coming against him, it's not going to happen. It's not going to take place. You, you might as well go home. Just turn around. What are you doing here? In the midst of all of that, he was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God because he was fully convinced that what God has promised he was able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, what did Abraham say during this time? I believe that part of it, he was saying what God taught him to say. And let me show you what that is. In Genesis 17 and 5, God said, No longer shall your name be called Abram, because his name wasn't always Abraham. His name was Abram. That doesn't mean a lot to us. But it meant a lot to them. And I'll show you what that is here in a minute. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. Not, I will make you. I have made you. In heaven's economy, it's a done deal. And he says to Abram, change your name. When is he going to change his name? After Sarah gets pregnant, 
after Sarah has Isaac? No, before. Before, while his body was as good as dead and her womb was dead, God said, change your name from Abram to Abraham. So he was telling Abraham before Sarah was ever pregnant to declare to everyone that he was a father of a multitude. See, what you don't realize is Abram means exalted father. You can be an exalted father and not have any children. You're the father of the family. What family? Your wife, your extended family. But you don't have to have any kids. But he didn't say your name is, no, is exalted father. He said you're going to change your name, and I want you to tell everyone your new name. And what is your new name? Father of a multitude. No, he didn't tell them that. He said Abraham. To Hebrews, when they heard that, they heard father of a multitude. And I'm sure there were people going, father of a multitude. Right. What's God in it? You're 100 years old. Your wife is 90 years old. You're not a father of a multitude. He said, God said, my name is Abraham. All right, put your signature here. Wait a minute. You signed Abraham, father of a multitude. You can't do that. That's my name. My father of a multitude. You don't even have, not even, my name is Abraham, father of a multitude. But your, 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 your wife, she can't have kids anymore. My name is Abraham, father of a multitude. What did Jesus say whenever he was tempted on, uh, uh, during the temptations? He said, it is written. Now, Abraham didn't have anything written, so he said, my name is Abraham. Now, who told Abram to change his name? God. So what was God telling Abram? And remember, he hadn't had, he just had a promise. He hadn't had, uh, uh, there was no way that Sarah could get pregnant in the natural realm. Everything scientifically, every report was against him, but he didn't care. God said, change your name. And so he was walking around. We don't know if it was four months, six months. We don't know how long it was. God said, sometime next year, you're going to have a child. We don't know how long he did it for six months. Let's just say six months. It's a nice round figure. He was declaring to everyone, I am a father of a multitude before that ever manifested before it ever existed. You know what he was doing? He was speaking to the problem. And who taught him to speak to the problem? God. I don't think you're getting it. Well, that, that name it, claim it thing, that ain't from God. That's just people make it. No. God taught Abraham how to do it. And we're of like faith as Abraham. What is the principle that we learn here? Not, hey, man, I'm going to have three Rolls Royces and I'm going to have $10 million in the bank. I'm not saying, now, if God told you that, that's between you and the Lord. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that what has God spoken to your life? Has he given you promises of health? Has he given you promises of, 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 of uh, being able to, 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 uh, uh, to meet the needs of your family? Has he given you promises? What promises he given you? What does he say in his word? You can begin to speak the word of God and confess the Word of God before you see a manifestation of the Word of God. And I'm going to talk specifically because it's very real to a lot of people. Healing. I'm sick. This is an illustration. i got a problem. I've got an ailment. Nothing's changed. The doctor says I can't change. I'm going to have to live with it for the rest of my life. Well, what does the Word of God say? Well, the doctor says, I don't care what the doctor says. What does the Word of God say? Well, Google says, I don't care what Google says. What does your doctor say? Well, my back says, I don't care what your back says. What does the Word of God say? Well, what do you expect me to do? 
God has not given me a, a, a spirit of fear, but a power and a love and of a sound mind. He, 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 he forgives all my iniquities. He heals all my diseases. He surely carried my sicknesses and he bore my pains and by his stripes I am healed. To the one who fears my name, the son of righteousness will arise with healing in his wings and I shall go forth like a calf leaping from his stalls. What are you declaring? What are you speaking? What are you saying? I'm not saying that, that, listen, I'm telling you what happens is when you speak and you're speaking in agreement with God, that's what causes mountains to move. But not all mountains move right away. Not all demons move right away. But they're going to move. They have to. Why? Because the Word of God says they have to. Right? Mountain has to move. Why? Because the Word of God says it has to move. Are you hearing what I'm saying? What did Joshua and Caleb say in the face of the obstacles in front of them? Remember, 12 spies went into the promised land. Right? 10 spies came back with a bad report. And what did the, all the people began to profess when they heard the bad report? They began to profess the bad report. What did Caleb and Joshua profess? They said, if God be with us, this is Numbers 13 and 21, uh, Numbers 14, 7 through 9, they spoke to all the congregation, the land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land if the Lord delights in us, and they're saying he does, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey, only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread, their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us, do not fear them. So Joshua and Caleb were part of this contingent of spies that all saw the promised land. They confessed the promise, and they saw the promise, just those two. The ten who refused to confess and profess what God had said, he said, I'm going to bring you into the promised land. He said that, that, that the, the, he's going to be with them, and he's going to wipe them out before them. The two that came into agreement and began to profess what God said, it took 40 years, but they went into the promised land. And their families went into the promised land. And their children went into the promised land. Why? Because they stood on the promise of God in the face of unbelief. Now, if there was corporate faith, they could have gone in a lot sooner. You see, we can, we can achieve, well, that's the right word. That's not the right word. We can experience the promises of God individually. But I believe, one of the things we can learn from this passage, I believe, that is corporately we can come into agreement in faith. Many of the promises of God we can see much sooner and much quicker than if we were just believing God on our own. Doesn't it say one can put a, two can put what if you have a whole company of believing people that refuse to back off, that say, this is what God's going to do? We believe healing is the will of God. We believe freedom is the will of God. We believe that, that uh, uh, you know, uh, moving mountains of debt, moving mountains of family problems, mountains of genealogical ancest ancestral problems, whether it be uh, uh, demonic curses or whether it be, uh, uh, you know, people that have uh, 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 just even in the natural diabetes, heart disease, all these things, they make you list when you go to the doctor. We believe that God is bigger than that. And if you got a whole community that believes, I was reading something this morning. I read it again. I was reading something this morning on, uh, on the Azusa Street. 
is that they all saw so much of the miracles of God that it was just part of the culture. If you walked in there, they said, you're going to get healed tonight. You're going to get healed tonight. They said, were they being presumptuous? No, because the glory of God was there, and they'd seen it as a multitude, as a group. They'd seen it so much. They, how could it not happen? There was a corporate expectancy that God was going to do this. It wasn't one person believing. It was they were in all, in agreement, believing together. I believe that's what was happening in Ephesus whenever Paul was doing extraordinary miracles. He had been preaching the Word of God, and all of Asia heard. And so what happened is when the Word of God went forth, everyone began to believe, and there was a corporate dynamic as faith began to rise. And when that environment where faith began to rise, the miraculous began to be commonplace. And you say, how can you say that? Because God began to do uncommon miracles, extraordinary miracles, because the miracles were common. Why were they common? Because God was moving and people were believing. What we learn today is the importance of speaking and declaring the will of God, the Word of God, into the situations you're facing. I'm trying to teach you something here. And sometimes you've got to teach something over and over and over and over and over again. Because I can teach you and I'll hear, teach you and I'll hear, and sometimes somebody will grab it, sometimes somebody won't. Listen, I have my struggles. But I'm learning. And I'm growing. And one of the things I refuse to do now is I refuse to say, my this or my that. I refuse to own a condition that I'm battling. I refuse it. Doesn't mean I don't struggle with it, but I look at it as a struggle. I look at it as a battle that I'm going to win. Not because of who I am, but because of who it is that lives inside of me. Because of the Word of God that lives inside of me. And I'm going to keep fighting, and I'm going to keep struggling, and I'm going to keep wrestling until the Lord blesses me. But I'm not fighting against God. Sometimes I'm fighting myself. Sometimes I'm fighting the enemy. Sometimes I'm, there's things that are happening in my life that God's getting in place so that when it is released, it's not just going to be a blessing to me. It'll be a blessing to others. You understand? But my job is to declare the Word of God and say, this is going to happen. Not to accept it, not to live with it, not to say, hey, this, I guess I'm going to be this way all my life. And please don't misunderstand me. It doesn't mean that I haven't had struggles, that I don't have my bad days, that I don't wonder why is this happening, that I don't get discouraged. But, you know, one of the things I'm just learning how to do is I'm not going to go there. I've been there before. I don't like it. I'd rather trust the Lord. I'd rather stand on God's Word. I feel most comfortable fighting. May not look like much of a fighter in the natural realm, but I think he's made me into a fighter in the spiritual realm. And I, I believe that he wants to make all of us that way so we can all experience the things that he wants for us to experience in life. The importance of speaking and declaring the Word of God, the will of God, into the situations you're facing. Find out what God's Word says about it. Well, my grandma said, or so-and-so over here, brother so-and-so said, cleanliness is necessary. What does that have to do with your problem? I don't know. What does the Word of God say about healing? Well, that's not what I was taught in the church I went to. Well, find out what the Word of God teaches. 
Get it into your heart. How do I get it into my heart? Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. What happens when it goes in here? Well, if you meditate on it, it's not the, this is not new age meditation. They want to teach you to empty your mind. That's ridiculous. That's not biblical meditation. Biblical meditation is to fill your mind. Whether you believe it or not, if you try to empty your mind, you're filling it with something. You just ain't filling it with God. The only way... The only way to biblically meditate is you fill it with the Word of God. Well, what does the Word of God say? And begin to, to memorize it. Begin to get it into your heart. It's, at some point, it's going to go from here to here. And when it goes from here to here, and you begin to confess, you can confess without it being here, but if you confess long enough, it's going to go from here to here. And all of a sudden, your mouth is going to line up with your heart. It's going to line up with your head. And that's when something's going to be released. And don't quit. Don't back off. Well, it's just taking so long. Biblically, sometimes it happens that way. But you might find that we get to a place where all of a sudden something breaks. Something breaks. And I'm going to end with this. There was a, a John Wimber was a man that got filled with the Holy Spirit. He was the head of the vineyard just many, many years ago. Uh, but he was praying for people, saw the word, the word of God, taught about healing. He'd pray for people. He said, I pray for a thousand people. Nothing. Laid my hands on a thousand people. Nothing. But the Word of God said it, so I did it. Somebody came up around that time and said, would you pray for me? I said, I don't have any faith. I pray for lots of people. Never, but, I, but I did what I said in the Word of God to do. I did it. I prayed for them. He said, it definitely wasn't my faith. He said, it was my obedience. Part had something to do with it, but it wasn't my faith because I prayed for them, and they got healed, and they were surprised, and I was surprised. But he said, after that, on a regular basis, I'd start praying for people, and people were getting healed left and right and left and right and left and right. What if he'd have quit at 500? What if he'd have quit at 900? What if he'd have quit at 999? Now, it didn't happen. I'm not saying it happened right at 1,000, but what if he'd have quit right before he had the breakthrough? What God is saying is don't quit. Keep standing. Keep believing. Keep speaking to the mountain, and you will have a breakthrough. When? That's, that's the rub. He doesn't tell us. But you've got to believe, and you've got to continue, and you've got to walk it out, because this kind will come out. But it may take a little prayer and fasting, some declaration, some, some uh, 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 declaring the Word of God to the mountain. It may take a little bit of that, but it's going to come out, and it's going to move. And that has to be our mentality. Amen? Never be the same. Never, never, never. Never be the same in Jesus' name. What does it say here? I am what it says I am. Well, my body says you're not that. Your family history says you're not that. My, my spouse who hates me says I'm not that. <laughs> They say, I'm a, I'm a no good. They say, I don't care what they say. What does the Word of God say? My experiences say I'm not that. You know what? You've got to stop believing what you've experienced. You've got to stop believing what your history is, and you've got to start believing what this says. What does this say about you? I can do what it says I can do. What do you think Peter felt 
when Jesus said, he said, can I walk on the water like you? He said, yeah, sure. He got the word. He didn't do it just because he saw Jesus. He said, he said, bid me come unto you. And he gave him the word. He said, come. Jesus, Peter didn't walk on the water. He walked on the word. And the word happened to be, you're going to walk on water. When did he start sinking? When he got his uh, thoughts off the Lord and began to put his mind and his thoughts on the situation and the circumstances. You hear what I'm saying? I'm trying to teach you something tonight. Confession is not a, a, a demonic thing. It's not of the devil. God actually did it. Now, we've got to learn how to do it properly. We've got to learn how to do it biblically, but we've got to learn how to do it. We've got to learn how to believe what God says, declare what God says, stand on what God says. Stop, stop uh, mimicking and stop declaring. I hear people all the time talking about the report that the enemy has given you. I hear them all the time talking about how bad things are and talking about, and listen, I'm guilty as well. I can be guilty of that. We need to stop doing that. We need to stop. Listen, what you hear in your head, you do not have to vocalize. I'm talking to a lot of you women. You're going to have to pray for forgiveness now. Men too. But I see a lot of women. Well, I just what I thought. I had this thought come into my head. Is it good? No. Then why are you talking about it? Well, I thought that's what you had to do. No. Well, I don't want to vocalize what the enemy is saying. I don't want to vocalize what the enemy is saying. I want to vocalize what God is saying. Well, I heard this bad thing. Well, say a good thing. And you determine every time I hear a bad thing, I'm going to say two good things. And if you just hear two bad things, I'm going to, hear, I'm going to say three or four good things. I'm, I'm going to double down. He said, hey, you keep coming at me, it's going to get worse. Eventually, the enemy's going to learn, hey, I've got to stop doing this because I get, I get more wounded than they do. And that's the way it's supposed to be. The enemy, you're not supposed to be afraid of the enemy. I'm sorry, I ran off here, but you're not supposed to be afraid of the enemy. He is deathly afraid of Jesus who lives inside of you. You've got to learn how to stand on the Lord and His Word. And when you do, He will move. It will move. The circumstances will move. They will change. Because God is faithful and His Word is true. His Word is forever settled in the heavens. Let God be true and every man a liar. If God said it, I'm believing it. I'm standing on it and I'm going to declare it until I see the manifestation of it in my life, in my children. My children are coming home. Why? Because I believe I heard the word of the Lord. Is it biblical? Absolutely. So I'm declaring what God says, and my children are coming home. My back, I saw it. I've, I've, I believed it. I've confessed it, and I saw it. My back is whole. Little Isaac, little Isaac is going to run around here one day, and I'm never going to think about this thing again. Never going to be an issue because the Lord spoke to my heart. Now, does that mean that sometimes it don't hurt? Yeah, does that sometimes you say like the back is saying, yeah, right. No, but one day I'm going to see it. Isaac's going to run around here because God said it, and I believe what he said. I'm going to stand on what he said. I'm going to declare it, and I want you to do the same. You're not dumb. You're not irreparable. You're not locked in the past. You are a child of the living God. You are he who the Son sets free is free indeed. If God be for you, who can stand against you? You are everything he says you are. All things are possible to those, to him who 
believes. Hallelujah.